The bus stops here on this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. All right, we are back again. Another episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast, the 121st episode. I'm Nick, he's Will, and we have like a good mix, like a solid mix of news and actual baseball talk today. So it is shaping up to be a real banner day on this show. It's a fun week, and what an intro for, from you, Nick. Uh, and if you don't know what we're referen- what Nick was referencing when he said the bus stops here, we will get into it because it is quite the story, isn't it? It definitely is. It's going to be the one that kind of bats in that cleanup hole out of all the news stories here because that just makes such a wonderful transition into actual baseball talk. But yeah, it, it's a it's a Texas-sized problem. I'll leave it at that and we'll, we'll pick that up in about 10, 15 minutes from now um, when we get into actual baseball talk. But first, we do have other news because there's a lot of news on Friday when you get down to it. And we're going to start by talking about Staten Island. We talked about Staten Island a lot over the offseason. We talked about a lot when we had uh, our resident Staten Island expert and Rob Pimsner. Actually, just really resident minor league baseball expert when you really want to get down to it. He's very, very good at that. And we'll probably have him back on again in a couple of months because now it does seem like we are as close as we can get until it's official that there will be Atlantic League Baseball on Staten Island. Uh, last Friday, the city approved an $8 million, uh, I guess, I don't think it's a bond, but they did approve spending of $8 million to renovate Richmond County Bank Park that is on Staten Island, the former home to the Staten Island Yankees. And it is likely that it will be an Atlantic League team that will be in there come the spring of 2022 that is barring any setbacks but that is the plan as of right now for a team to take over there and the atlantic league is the front runner of that it's going to be owned by stan island entertainment llc in one of the linked articles in our show notes you can find out who exactly is part of that or some of the names involved in that uh but you know there's no flashy name involved there it's what you expect and it does seem like everything is now starting to come together on Staten Island. Yeah, it certainly is. And it, it was almost at this point kind of inevitable that uh, that we would see a lot of action on this front. Um, of course, if they wanted to start in the 2022 season, stuff was going to have to start to move because these are pretty, pretty serious renovations, of course, with the, the $8 million price tag on here. It's obviously some pretty major overhauls to a stadium that certainly needed it. It's all going to come down to is this ownership group going to be able to really galvanize the support of people from Staten Island? We know the last one certainly did not. That's why the Yankees are no longer there. We know the market size is certainly there. Potential for this market is, is pretty big. A lot more so, I think, than, than a normal Atlantic League market. It'll be really interesting to see at least what kind of support this gets throughout the city. None of us have like, boots on the ground there. So as far as that, you know, taxpayers paying $8 million to be renovating the stadium. Not sure how that's being received uh, in Staten Island. Uh, you know, you could see people on both sides of that issue. However, it's certainly good news, at least from, from an Atlantic League perspective, that things are starting to move. They definitely needed another, another team up in the north. Long Island can't be on its own, I guess, island. 
is the best way to put it. Like Long Island can't. It, it makes too much sense to put Staten Island uh, in, in just from an ALPD perspective. But so it's good to see that we're we're finally we're really starting to move, and hopefully hopefully they can get renovations going on that soon, and uh, the ownership group can get to work trying to galvanize the support of of the people that mostly were pretty much lost in at least the last few years uh, as, an, as a Yankees affiliate. Yeah, exactly. It's going to come down to ownership being involved. I mean, uh, we apparently we need less pizza rats and more local engagement here. Uh, you said it best when you, you basically said that much. It, it needs to have roots in the community, and it does look like we're getting there. Uh, there are there is work that needs to be done. You know, the outfield wall is something that immediately comes to mind. A uh, new field would be nice, so that way you can have a variety of other events. I believe that's in the works. And then there's other just maintenance work that needs to be done that's been neglected, and that's part of the reason for the high price tag on it. It's just, just work that needs to be done on it. And not even so much from the fan-facing perspective, but just from the, the bones and structure section needs to be done there. So hopefully... It'll get done fairly quickly. I don't think it takes that long to put in a turf field. I only think it takes like a handful of months. I don't think it's terribly long. So that's very doable if they're able to start quickly. If they're able to get that started by, say, the end of the month, they could probably have that turf field in uh, by the end of, I would say, by uh, by the end of the fall. That would certainly be something that's available. I know there's some other more, I guess high-profile uh, events on the island in the fall time, so around September. And I know that there, that would be a good opportunity to maybe get the branding out, get all that unveiled, and really get the ball moving on that. Uh, obviously, you can't really do any of that until it becomes official. And obviously, there are a few more things that need to fall in place for it to be official. But I have a feeling that we're going to be able to see this turn official fairly soon. I'd say sometime probably within the next two months it becomes official. And then from there, we're able to get the ball moving and everything. But you're all right. We need the ballpark taken care of first so that way they can start playing 2022. Even if it's going to be, you know, into the season a little bit for some of the rentals to get done. If, let's say, you're not able to have opening day there until, like, May 10th, I think you can live with being on the road for, like, the first three weeks or so of the season, if that means the ballpark's going to be top of the line when you're able to open up and you're able to do everything correctly. We know from High Point's experience, too, they didn't exactly have a game day ready ballpark on day one. We know that they were pulling people away from group sales so that way they could kind of finish the, uh, the other things just around the ballpark, and that kind of led to a low attendance figure. So hopefully everything can be ready to go on opening day when we'll hopefully be back to 140 game slate and uh, hopefully everything will be all top of the line and ready to run. At, at least before anything else, you just have to you have to take care of the stadium, um, and then once the stadium once the stadium starts to move, once it starts to improve, then you can start moving on to other points and of course trying to get those fans back in the seats which is going to be so crucial because there is a lot of potential with this market uh and there's certain there's even looking at the ballpark uh there's certain parts of the ballpark that uh that, that are really cool of course the skyline in the background it could be a good place for people to go and watch a ball game but of course a lot of a lot of work still needs to be done but i think it's safe to say uh 
even though it's not quote unquote official, Staten Island is certainly coming to the Atlantic League in 2022. Yeah, at this point, it's unofficially official in my mind. So, on that note, we'll go to a team that is officially official now in the, I guess it's Lake Country. We're going to go with. Dock hounds that are slated to join the American Association in 2022. They unveiled their logo plus a little bit of extra information this past week. Uh, the logo appears to be a golden retriever in a team uniform, which I'm not sure if that's the official uniform or what, because there were some people wearing like mock-up uniforms. I imagine the actual one's going to be a bit different than what you see on the uh, on the retriever logo. But regardless of that, it's holding a bat over its shoulders with the name Louie on it because that is the name of the mascot, Louie B. Slugger, or Louie B. Slugging, which, I mean, make of that what you will. It's certainly a name. And their dog is wearing sunglasses with a fishing hat and has a pier in front of him with the word mark dog hounds linked to the actual look of the logo because obviously looking at images and trying to describe them on a podcast is not exactly easy or beneficial for anyone. Uh, if you want to check out the logo itself, the ballpark had the naming rights bought by Wisconsin Brewing Company. So it will be Wisconsin Brewing Company Ballpark. And uh, yeah, they, they're on pace for to get started. They only have one front office employee uh, at the current moment. That is their GM. And uh, yeah, they're, they're coming along. Hopefully they'll be ready to go. Uh, the ballpark is just starting construction now. So we're going to see one hell of a turnaround if they're going to start play in uh, May. They have about 10 months to build an entire ballpark, get it all ready to go for opening day. So it is a it is an interesting setup out there in Wisconsin. I mean, if their if their plan is to get it done by 2022, I mean that would be incredible if they did. I uh, just because I mean there's so there's still so much left to do. But you know about about the logo itself. You know, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, Nick, it's it's uh it's a little tough to uh to to describe a logo on a podcast format. But I think it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of unique, just because of course. Um, I mean, you have the lake country, you have the water, you have the dock, and um, and of course the dog and the, with the bat, like it resting on its shoulders, and the ball and the baseball in its mouth. I think it looks kind of cool. I, I even like the name Louie. Like you know, if you could hear this dog talk, you could hear him being like an Italian guy with the name of Louie. I mean, that's that, that's just that's just kind of how I see it. So, so I think it's a cool logo. I think it's well done. Certainly make some money branding wise off this, but it's not like too insane. It's it's not too like straight up insane that uh that we all kind of roll our eyes, you know, those names that we've kind of seen over the past uh couple years in Indie Ball. So I, I, I really like what they've done with this. I really like the logo. Uh and, and I think it's unique but not like uh really you had to like like yeah. you had to make it this wild, like you know what I mean. Yeah, see, for me, like, the name's good. I like the name. It's just, the logo leaves a bit to be desired. I, I don't know why. Like, I just had a different image. I had more of, like, I guess a more realistic-looking uh, animal, I guess. Like, like I said, like, my original idea had, like, a beagle with a Catherine's hat on with, you know, more of a playing on that look where on the dock thing like yeah it's still playing on it because i guess it has a fisherman's hat on and has some baseball stuff around it 
And I mean, you did pick a dog that's kind of a water retriever, so I guess that makes sense. But like, there's just something about it. It just leaves a bit to be desired. Like, I, I don't know. It just, it just like it's not a bad logo for me. It just is like a solid five and a half, six out of ten. It is pretty average, and it doesn't really inspire uh, terribly much of an opinion out of me. It's just like I look at the whole situation as a whole. And I'm just going to be really impressed that they have an entire ballpark constructed starting in the very end of June 2021 and then on like May 10th of 2022, they're going to have somebody throwing out the opening pitch. I will be extremely impressed if that is the case. You know, of course, that's the much bigger question than, than the logo, yeah. uh, of course. And, you know, it's an ambitious start date. Uh, but I mean, clearly they think they can get it done in that time frame. If that's what if that's what they're talking about, and you know, not to not to mention, if they say they're going to be in there by 2022, the American Association is counting on them being in count, counting on them being in there by 2022 because they don't want to have another year of the Houston Apollos, which uh, who will currently have a record of checks and notes, stepping in 32. Although they're three and seven in their last ten, not too bad. But, but again, they don't want another year of a traveling team. Nobody wants another year of a traveling team. So if you're going, if you're, if you're counting on Lake Country to be team number 12, uh, for next year, they really need this to work out. This is not a, um, well, we'll try for 2022, but if not, we'll just hit the 23. Like they really have to get this ballpark done by 2022 if that's what they say they're going to, which is ambitious. But I'd like to think that if they're that confident that the park can be done in this time frame, if they're if they're that confident in it, I'm hoping they can get it done. Yeah, I mean, like as long as they don't have too many major setbacks, I think they'll be fine. Because I mean, really, at the end of the day, it doesn't seem like it's all that much to put up. I mean, you're obviously still building a stadium, so it's still a major project, but. It doesn't seem like it's all too elaborate. So that should be a benefit. And, you know, I, I just hope it works out because I really don't want to see another year of a traveling team. I want as few traveling teams as possible. Unless, of course, it's the Atlantic League Road Warriors, in which case, then, well, that, yeah, that, I, I've seen enough traveling teams. I'm ready. I'm ready, I'm ready real for teams, permanent teams. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. On that note, let's talk about one of the permanent teams here with the last bit of news we have before we jump into baseball, which is Friday, almost immediately after we finished recording, the bus that was carrying the railroaders en route to Sioux so- City from Jackson, Tennessee, broke down. Okay, fine. And that's when we started seeing, you know, like the whole situation out there. They documented the whole saga on their Twitter feed. So if you want to go to the Cleveland, or not Cleveland, the Cleburne Railroaders Twitter account, you can go and check out everything that happened. It's actually some pretty decent content, I'm not going to lie. But as a result of this breakdown, they were unable to make the game in Sioux City. So in the past when this has happened, all they did was they rescheduled the game. This time, they were told they had to forfeit their game because they were unable to make that time. Okay, fine, it's in the league rules, and if it's in the rules, then unless both parties agree to it, I guess, or whatever the situation around it may be, that's the rule, that's what has to happen. Fine, not great, but fine. Then, a couple days later, the Kleber manager, Mike Jeffcoat, just up and retired in the middle of the year. Had 
the 61-year-old was promoted from a pitching coach, started in that position uh, in 2019, but in December he got promoted to manager, and then he retired, and Logan Watkins has now been named the intern manager, and he was the hitting coach of the team. On that note, over the past week, we had a bus breakdown, a game have to be forfeited as a result of that, and the manager just up and retire in the middle of the week for no particular reason. Yeah, this is, and listen, no, nothing screams indie ball like missing the long trip from Jackson, Tennessee, uh, only to have the bus down and having to forfeit a game. Listen, it's in the league rules. It happens, it happens. But, and, and you know, it, it was fun for, like, social media content. It was, I, I, it was like, of course, you don't want to see it happen, but it looks like, at least the guys there, at least from what we could see, made the best of it. What the hell is up with this timing of Mike Jeffcoat announcing his retirement? It's eyebrow-raising, um, to say the least, I think. I mean, the team was playing well, so I don't think it, this was a case of him being showed the door by any stretch. I don't know. Like, it's really, it's really hard to pinpoint something unless, like, the bus broke down and he was just like, yeah. And that was just like the sign quote unquote, that, uh, that it was time for him to move on. I don't know. Certainly not a situation we've really seen before. I mean, of course, Cleveland's been a little bit disappointing so far this year. They're coming in with a record of 20 and 19, but they're playing much better lately. They certainly still have a chance uh, at the postseason. So it, it, it's, a, it's a very odd situation with very, very strange timing, uh, specifically with, with Mike Jeffco retiring now. I don't really, I mean, that's, I guess that's the only thing I could think of that could cause it. That was just, he was ready to move on. And, you know, so that, it's a very, very, it's a weird story. I mean, you want to ask more questions about what was going on, you know, maybe behind the scenes that nobody could, that nobody else sees. Uh, but certainly, uh, eyebrow raising, to say the least. Yeah, uh, it's just a very weird decision to just up and decide, all right, or I'm going to retire right now. Like, I agree, that's kind of been my prevailing theory, in that the bus breakdown has to be the thing where, I mean, if you're 61, you're sitting on the side of the road, you're going, am I really going to want to keep doing this for what I'm getting paid to keep dealing with garbage like this? And then when you find out you have to forfeit a game as a result of that, I could definitely see it being like, all right, I'm just managing out the rest of this road trip. And then when we get back to Texas, then I'm just going to say, screw it, I'm done. I could definitely see that being the case. I think the forfeit, it, it definitely leaves a bad taste in the mouths of a lot of people because I know a lot of people were very upset about that. They said, no, we that game should have just been rescheduled. It's not like Sioux City doesn't play them again at Sioux City. And yeah, I agree with that on a level. I don't think it does anybody any good to just up and cancel a game, essentially. I mean, it doesn't do any good for Sioux City to now lose that gate revenue. It doesn't do the players any good because neither team's players are getting any eyes on them. You know, nobody really benefits from that situation. So I understand where you could be like, oh, well, let's just make one of those games a doubleheader. But I wonder financially if a doubleheader is better or worse for a team. I can't imagine it's terribly much better because, I mean, how many people want to sit there for, you know, 14 innings of baseball, which if we're going to say 
it's about an hour per three innings, roughly. You know, a little bit more than that. Then, I mean, we're looking at being at the ballpark for probably about four and a half hours or so, bare minimum, plus the delay in between games. And if one game runs extra time, then, I mean, you have to deal with that too. So I just don't think there's terribly many people that want to spend four and a half, five hours at a ballpark. I mean, even that's a lot for me. So I'm sure, Will, you've been caught in double headers before where by the fifth inning of the second, you're like, okay, let's just kind of speed this along here. I'm kind of, I'm kind of done here today. And uh, like, I understand why you had to be forfeited. I get it. It just, I understand why it leaves a bad taste in a lot of mouths, although I'm fine with it. The Jeff thing, I really have no idea outside of just the the whole situation as a whole made him think, yeah, I'm, I'm done with this BS. I'll find something else to do in baseball. Like, I could definitely see that being the case because I know certainly that's what I would have been thinking about if I was stranded on the side of the road in, like, Iowa. I, I definitely would have been like, yeah, I'm kind of done with this. At least for the doubleheader, I mean, I wonder if it isn't, like, I mean, because I, I don't know if more people would then buy a ticket because yeah. it's a doubleheader. I mean, you'd think it's probably minimal. So there's not much more money to be added there that you have to pay, you know, the other workers who are at the ballpark longer, you know, for yeah. more hours. So I guess you can make the case it's not it's not profitable at all. But still, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't treat it as like a, a normal rain out. I mean, listen, league rules say what the league rules say. So there's not not really too much uh, too much argument, I guess that that Cleveland really could have made. Uh, but I mean, yeah, it's just so, I mean the whole situation is just I mean it's a saga. Uh, it really is, and the fact that their manager retired right after it. I mean, it's very odd. Yeah. So, um, like the it, one thing I, the one thing I just want kind of say is like here's the thing with like with the forfeit. I think I'd be a lot more accepting. I think a lot of people would be a lot more accepting if the league rule wasn't if they can't make the game, then that's just too bad to forfeit, which, I mean, it is professional baseball, so I understand that. But if they would have said, all right, you have 24 hours to find a new date for this game, otherwise it's a forfeit, then I think I would be a lot more accepting of that because then it's like, look, you have to make an effort to find another place to put it on there. And if you just can't find another place to put it on there, then that's fine. There's going to be plenty of games like that that are you know, just not going to happen. And so, like, I think in that case, I would have been a lot more okay with it than just outright declaring it a forfeit. I'd probably do that. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably do that or... It's just me making a doubleheader a couple of days later. There are ways you can certainly, yeah. you can certainly solve this. Because it's the first game of the series. I mean, you have two other games there. Exactly. So, just odd. But you did mention that uh, Claiborne is hot. And I guess on that note, we can go into the actual uh, baseball portion of this show. Which is to say, Cleveland was doing very good and is doing very good. If I'm not mistaken, they're now 7-3 and three after a loss to Lincoln last night. And they were on a four-game winning streak until that loss. And now at 20-19, and 19, they have two games against Sioux Falls coming up and then three at Milwaukee. So after a 2-1 series against uh, Sioux City and a 2-1 series against Lincoln, they are back in the middle of things. I mean, I don't want to say they're, you know doing great because if we're being honest they're not i mean they are still three games back of a playoff berth they are still five games back of the division lead however they have done a lot to 
you know, kind of dig themselves out of a very early hole, although they have a Lincoln team that's nipping at their heels. They have a Sioux Falls team that's definitely going to be motivated here because they can turn around the way their season's been going. And I'm I'm not going to say sweep the Railroaders, but they can certainly get within a game or two of them uh, with this series if it goes their way. So that kind of third place position is still kind of shaky, but still seven of three, four of your last five, that's still a very good pace to be on, especially considering the past week they've had. It really all came together for them uh, this past week. I mean, guys like uh, like Merrier, Zach Merrier, who had just had an awesome week at the plate. I mean, his 455 for the week, 10 of 22 uh, at the plate. And this roster is really starting to, you know, stick together more for a week. I mean, I mean they have the exact same roster uh, for the entire week this week. And for a team like Cleveland that started the year, with so with so much with so many like pitchers getting picked up, uh, I mean that's a big deal for them. And you know at, at least I mean they had a three a three forty team ERA for this week. They hit three oh eight as a team this week. So they're starting to play like the team that we uh, that we thought they would be. Still as a team, they're still hitting very well. Um, the and the pitching is is starting to come around. Uh, it, it's really starting to come around. I, I don't. I think it's it's a pretty good bet that trend like this will continue. I still think they're a really talented team. Uh, and there's a reason they're now back over 500, which for uh, where they were is a, is a pretty good pretty good accomplishment. Now, it, it's going to be, I mean, Sioux City is in person, it's one of the best teams in the league, so they might be tough to catch, and Kansas City is just as hot as Cleburne is. So they're in a tough division to be able to do it. Uh, at least, if, I mean, if they were in the North Division, this would be a different discussion, because you know, Chicago's struggling a little bit right now as well. So if they're trying to get into that second-place spot, they do have some work to do in that sense because Kansas City uh, is really starting to, to hit their stride. They've won, they've won their last three. Uh, but at least Cleveland as a team, uh, so three back at Kansas City for second place. Uh, and, and the big difference for them, I think, is just that they're, that they're pitching. They've really hit a, a nice routine now with, you know, the same guys there without guys having to get picked up left and right, and that's a big deal for a team like that. And they're, and they're continuing to hit the way they have all year. And so they've, they've put themselves right back in the thick of it, uh, and despite all the madness with the bus, they were still able to split that series. So that, that, was, that was impressive for them. Uh, and, and they're playing like the team we thought they could be at the beginning of the year. Exactly. Yeah, they're saying, like you said, they're starting to come around. The bullpen in particular did very well this week. Chavez, Cruz, uh, Caruza, Wright, and Wilson, all of them three or fewer innings, yeah, but all of them with a zero ERA. And that tells me an awful lot. I mean, how Caruza and Wilson, in their combined three innings of work, did not allow a base runner. So that tells me an awful lot about them, that they're doing a good job. I mean, they've all gotten into at least a, a significant number of games to make a difference. And Kyle Chavez has really been kind of the rock of that bullpen all year long, and he's really still keeping it up at this point. But they are starting to get a little bit better on the starter end, I'm thinking. Fairchild had a pretty decent start, five and two-thirds. He did allow two earned runs and 11 hits, but I mean, he still managed to walk out of there not too badly damaged. They had a handful of other uh, okay starts. Alexander start did not uh, 
did not go as you would like to see. But, I mean, small victories where you can get them. Still a team ERA under three and a half. So that's definitely a win there. Like you mentioned, though, the batting is kind of what we know this team for at the moment. And that has kept up. Uh, Chase Simpson's starting around the corner. At the very least, go back to his usual kind of hit for power routine. Only one home run this week, but five RBIs. And he did have five other hits uh, in those five games. Uh, Clannon still doing well. Alay Lago still batting about 300, which, I mean, is pretty routine for him at this point. He had two home runs as well. Ozzy Martinez is still doing well. Hernandez is still doing well. Zach Neri, you mentioned already. But Noah Vaughn's a dude that, uh, granted, only 12 at-bats. But in those 12 at-bats, he had six hits. He scored three runs, and he hit a home run. He also drew a couple of walks. And he only struck out twice, and he stole three bases. This kid's very good. He really is. I don't. I kind of expect him to be the next guy I grab, to be quite honest. But all in all, I mean, like, I really like what I see out of him and out of this lineup as a whole. The way I look at it is you have about six really reliable guys. Then you have a Chase Simpson that I don't want to call him reliable yet because he is only batting about 240. So it's hard to say you're reliable when you're batting 240 and the, the on-base is uh, 300. But... With that said, he still has power potential in the lineup, and I think that in and of itself adds value. And then I just refuse to believe that John Nestor is going to continue to bat like he did this past week and like he's kind of been doing all season long. I, at some point, he has to break out. And if that's the case, then, hey, you got eight bats in this lineup that you feel really good about, and then the rest of it, you know, you can kind of just piece together as you go along, I think. And uh, if... All in all, I, I do think they have a shot. Like I said, they got Sioux Falls first, and then they have a uh, a bit of a challenge in a Milwaukee team that still is, you know, one of the better teams in the league. They are first place in the division. I think if they were in the North Division, I would not like their odds as much because, I mean, you have three really strong teams in the North Division in Chicago, Fargo, Moorhead, and, and uh, Milwaukee. That said... They are still only three games back of a Kansas City team. Granted, the Kansas City team that's finding their footing. But if Kansas City does slip up a bit, there is a chance for them there. They have enough talent to stay in this. And so they are an interesting team to watch as the season goes on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know talent. Uh, it's just a matter of... Uh, they still have some work to do. Uh, still, still have a lot of work to do. But uh, with their new manager. Uh, at the helm, they're certainly playing pretty good baseball as of right now. Yeah, definitely. And on that note, we'll go to the next team. These are two teams, actually, we wanted to talk about last week because of time we cut them. So I made a point of making sure we get them in this week. And one of those teams is, in fact, the first place Sioux, Fall, uh, Sioux City Explorers, pardon me, 7-3 in the last 10 on a one-game winning streak, 25 wins on the year. They've had a very, very... A good season to this point, although they have struggled in beating the Apollos. I will uh, say that much. Dropped a game or two against them recently. Yep, they did. They did, in fact, drop one game to the Apollos, who are playing better, too. But as a whole, the Sioux City team is playing very well. They have three or four guys that are uh, over 300 on the season batting-wise. And over the past week, they guys like uh, LT Tolbert batted nearly 500. Uh, other guys like Chase Harris really stepped up. Milligan really stepped up. There's a lot of guys that are really stepping up here. 
on on offense, but the pitching is really the story of it because their bullpen is just really electric. I mean, they use a guy like Matt Quintana out of the bullpen. They use a guy like Gherkin out of the bullpen. They use a guy like Ribic out of the bullpen. They use a guy like uh, Coons out of the bullpen. They have use a guy like Veldez and Brashers too. All of these guys have ERAs of zero. Plus, they got a good start out of Riley as well. I mean, when you look up and down the roster here, it's a very strong team here. Uh, a guy like Adcock, he had a couple of decent starts. Nothing too terrible here. Uh, I mean, he kept the opposing on base to 244. So, I mean, that's pretty decent if you really want to look at it. Uh, Matt Porbrieko had, I believe, one rough outing, but he still got named uh, Pitcher of the Month. So, he's been doing well as of recent. There's a couple of guys that didn't do too hot. A guy like Hedges, and not the best in the world, but... All in all, this is a very, very good pitching team, particularly in that bullpen aspect, which just tells me they need their stars to get through four innings fairly unscathed, and then they'll be fine after that. So I'm I'm really, like, I don't recall having them this highly rated in the preseason when we were first talking about this. I vaguely remember saying, you know, if they were in the South Division, I'd peg them to be a lot better than to be in a much better position than they will be. But, yeah, it's still a bit surprising seeing this, particularly Chase Harris, I want to say, because Chase Harris wasn't exactly great in Rockland batting-wise, and he's kind of just turned it around here, in uh, at least in this week, in uh, Sioux City. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a pretty accurate way to look at it as far as their bullpen. I mean, their back end of their bullpen has been absolutely wiped out, and that's helped them in the sense that they've won a lot of close games this year. I mean, you even look at over over the past, um, you know, over the past ten games or so. Uh, over the past ten games or so, they're seven and three. So here here are the ten games, and you'll see what I mean by they win a lot of games close. Lincoln win 3-2. Lincoln win 4-3. Lincoln win 10-9. At Lincoln win 7-6. At Lincoln win 12-1. Then they lost to Cleburne 4-3 and 6-4. Then they beat Houston 3-0, lost 4-3, 1-5-3. That is a lot of close games. And how are you going to win those close games? You need especially all of those one-run games. I mean, played those games against Lincoln, they had a stretch for four games in a row with one for one run wins for Sioux City. Uh, and you wonder how long that can continue. I mean, as far, I mean, their starting rotation as a group doesn't really jump off the page. Uh, doesn't, doesn't really jump off the page at you. I mean, but I mean, but it, it's a really solid team overall. I mean, their bullpen, like you mentioned, is just awesome. And how about Jose Thermo? I mean, in the, in the lineup, he has gone absolutely nuts this year. Uh, he's hit 14 home runs in 38 games, hitting 296, and he is an absolute walk machine. He's walked 35 times this year, and that's good for, despite the fact he's hitting 296, he has an on-base percentage of 444, which is just insane. He has an OPS over 1,100. He's a guy some of the fans might remember with his quick stint, uh, but, you know, he's put up great numbers for a long time. He's hitting for a ton of power uh, this year, if you remember. Uh, a little bit reminiscent of his 2018 season with C-City, where, where, where he hit 22 home runs uh, there while hitting 316. Uh, and a little bit of a down year in 2019, but he has come back 
uh, in full force in 2021, and uh, and he's even he's even uh, made a made a big impact on the bases. He's stolen 13 bases so so far this year as well. So Jose Sarma has been really the whole package for this team. He is the engine that makes this lineup run, uh, and on a team that maybe isn't so much stacked. Uh, with talent the way a team like maybe Milwaukee is, they're showing that although, of course, they're in different divisions, they have a lot of, uh, that he's able to help them, uh, compete with them. And, of course, I mean, the bullpen is, the bullpen's a huge reason. Uh, and the, the lineup's been, has been good enough so far, and Jose Sermo is really carrying that group. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with any of that. He has been definitely a huge part of it. The one thing I will say is with the close one run games, there comes a certain point when winning close one-run games just becomes a team identity. And I think we're kind of nearing yeah. that point because there comes a certain point where it's just like, look, when they get in close, they're going to win it. And I think that just comes down to their bullpens better than a lot of people. I mean, like, even if you want to just take it off for the seven day and just go to the the full season pitching-wise, you still got a guy like Gherkin whose ERA is under one in about 18 innings of work. Valdez, same boat, 1.42. Pareko, uh, 1.69. Coons, 1.90. Brushers, 3.05. Quintana, 3.25. You know, there's still guys here. Ribic, 4.14. And, I mean, he's had to do some mop-up duty before, too. So, I mean, there's plenty of guys here that when you look at it, it's like, okay, well, their bullpen's just really that good. And I think when you have that good of a bullpen, you're able to win kind of one-run games. And you really just need to push home that one run to get across. And I think their offense is just good enough because they have enough player of the week types where, like, okay, they just kind of get a randomly good performance from random outfielder number two or random second baseman number three. And that'll push them over the top. Plus, like you said, you got a guy like Sermo that's, you know, kind of driving the offense and able to kind of keep you in games. And, of course, it's going to come back to bite you a handful of times. But by and large... I think they'll be fine there. And I mean, like this week, they got a fairly easy road. They got uh, two more against King County. I say two more because, you know, the series starts tonight on Friday. So when you're listening to it, it's two. And uh, they have four in Lincoln. So we've seen them in the past be able to beat Lincoln, granted closely, but they're still able to beat them. So I, I do think they're able to hold on with this. I will say that I think in a postseason series against a Cleburne, against a Kansas City that has more firepower and can kind of match them pitching-wise, particularly Kansas City on that note, I think that will become a problem. But as of right now, to get through the regular season and get into the postseason, I think it will be fine. I would probably like to see either another bat added or a one really, really nice starting pitcher seeing as, you know, I'd probably actually go for the bat just because they lost Walker, who was a very big offensive piece for the team. But even without him, even without that extra bat, I still like them. And I like I said, I just would like to see maybe one like really good starter added. I'm not sure where you'd find that pitcher because, I mean, pitching is definitely a luxury in independent league baseball at all times, but this year in particular. But in all in all, I, I'm not too concerned about the one-run game, at least not at this point. I mean, when you're, what, uh, over 10 games over 500, you're doing pretty good in one-run games? I see what you're saying, but also, 
we could definitely see some of these bullpen guys getting picked up here pretty soon. Fair. So, uh, so you know, of course, bullpens in, in independent league baseball, they'll, they'll change around and get them out. So that's that's just the one thing. That's just like the one thing I kind of worry about with this team. But listen, I mean, you can't you can't argue with, with where they are in the standings. I mean, they've surpassed all kinds of expectations. I mean, 25 and 14, tied for the best record in the American Association. You certainly cannot argue with that. See, we'll see if they keep it up. We'll see how, how long, I guess, the core of their pitching staff stays intact. I think that'll certainly be something to watch. But I think you're right. I think uh, even though the record is what it is when you're talking playoffs, I think you, I, I do think that they're going to need some more firepower to take down a team like Kansas City to take down a team like Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, on that note, we'll go over to Lincoln. Uh, another team here, I believe they are now 18 and 19 after a win last night. They are now breaking up their three game losing streak and now move to a one game winning streak. They have a schedule consisting of a series against Kansas City tonight in Kansas City. Uh, game one is tonight. And then they have two more after that. And then a four-game jaunt hosting the Explorers, like we just mentioned. Uh, they, they've been up and down as of recent, uh, three and seven. Before this, they were two and eight. As far as on the year goes, a guy like Justin Bird's kind of gone back to normal. Ryan Long's hitting okay. Altman's hitting very good. And same thing with Forrest all day. Uh, but with that said... Uh, it's it's kind of a barren waste, I want to call it, on offense. There's not too much else to to really point to and look at. Pitching-wise, isn't much better. I mean, a team ERA of over 5.5 is never good. Uh, a guy like James Puglisi has not really, you know, kind of, I don't want to say he hasn't done well. He has done fine out of the bullpen, a 3.3 ERA in 16 innings and in 16 games. Uh, Kinman's done fine, ERA of 3. But it kind of rapidly drops off after that. I mean, a guy like Hope is not doing well. Uh, Lobana is not doing well. There's just a lot of guys here that aren't doing great on the year as far as the last week goes. Uh, you know, there's guys that are hitting better. David Vidal's doing better. Kurt Smith's in and he's doing well. Still looking for that record, though. Altman's continuing to play well. Corsino's doing well. Um, as far as pitching goes, Puglis has been doing fine. A couple of the guys are finding their stride, like Hope and Anderson, among others. Bartlett's doing okay, like better than usual. Uh, but then it just really falls off from there. They're really, if I had to point to an issue, it's depth. Like there's enough on this team where like when the high level talent comes through, they'll do fine and they'll stay afloat. But then when they don't, then it all goes to hell very, very quickly. And that's an issue. It's it's very much an issue, especially in the South Division. If you build a team like this, you will probably finish a couple games under 500, which in any given year may be good enough for a playoff spot, especially if there's a lot of uh, playoff berths available. When there's only two per division and there's kind of a fight at the top there, especially in the South Division where it's very clear that Cleveland's that team right now that has a realistic shot at it and possibly Sioux Falls or they get on track, then it's it's just it's so hard for them at this point. It's what I think I'm trying to get at here in that you obviously have a tough series this, to start the weekend with Kansas City and then during the week, 
Sioux City is not any easier. So I just, it's, again, I don't want to write teams off. I really don't. But I have a hard time seeing them going more than like in their next seven, two and five. I have a very hard time seeing that. And if you go two and five and let's say Cleburne manages to do well, let's say they manage to go two and one against Sioux Falls and they manage a one and two against Milwaukee. So 500, they go 500 in their week series. Then in their six games, if they're three and three as opposed to two and five, it's you're putting yourself in a real hole, especially if a lot of those losses are teams that are underneath you or around you. Uh, I want to like Lincoln a lot more. I'm kind of surprised that Brett Jody team's doing this, to be honest. But again, there are it's a different animal managing outside the Atlantic League because of all these roster restrictions and everything. And I just I don't love the way this roster is built right now and it's just not really performing as of recent well i think that i think the thing you can point to really is just that there's just not a lot of depth on this team uh and if you remember but jody was brought on kind of late in the process right yeah. i mean one could question how how much time did he really have uh, to try and to try and build the squad. I mean, he brought in some of his guys, like that he brought in from Somerset, of course, like Vidal and Fabrice and Johnny Barbado. Of course, Barbado's no longer, and Barbado got his contract picked up after he was really good in his first two starts. I mean, Kyle Kinman has been really good, uh, but you know, it's just like the majority of the starting rotation uh, in this bullpen. I mean, Bartlett and Bartlett has also been good in the rotation, but. After that, there's no other, like, the next member of the rotation, like, the next lowest ERA in the starting rotation is, is over seven. So, like, the reality is you just, if you can only rely on two starters and the rest aren't, and, like, the rest you can't even rely on it being average, I mean, it's really hard to win that way. So, I think you're right. It is surprising to see this from a Brett Jody team. But just given when he was brought on, if, if he would have done better, if he would have had more time to construct the roster. So I think, that, I mean, the starting rotation has really, really struggled. Uh, the, I mean, the bullpen, the bullpen as a group has been, I mean, average at best, probably pretty far below average. And even you look at the, at the offense, I mean, uh, uh, Forrest Alday has been good. I mean, he's been really good. Uh, and he's not going to hit for not going to hit for a ton of power. Never does. And you think three seventy six, uh, really, really good. And you know, just a guy that we probably expect, we expected a lot more from. He was my player of the year pick in the American Association. I uh, was David Vidal, and he he is definitely disappointed this year. He's all, not hitting for a ton of power. He's only hit three home runs, and he's, hitting, he's currently only hitting two forty four. Uh, and the reality is, is if Lincoln wasn't going to get much from Vidal, I mean, this was going to be tough. And that's exactly what has happened uh, so far with this team. So, I mean, they're struggling right now. I mean, it, it's hard because, and when I, like you said, you don't want to write a team off, that, which is which is certainly true. Uh, it's just like you look for what needs improvement here, and there's just so much that does. Uh, I mean, you could even make the case that they're lucky to be 18 and 19 right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it's just, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any way that, that this gets better, at least with this roster. And I don't see any way that 
that, I mean, I'd be surprised if they finish over 500. Like I said, I think they're lucky to be 18 and 19 as they are at the moment. Yeah, not, not super high on this group and as a whole. But, I mean, listen, a year, year one with Brett Jody with a full off season, I would bet he comes back with a, with a, with a better group next year. It's just, this group just lacks the depth really to challenge for any sort of playoff spot in my mind. Yeah, I just, I see the roads just too hard for them at this point. And like I said, I, I hate to say one bad week writes off teams, but I really do think a bad week here and we can kind of stop talking about them, if that makes yeah. sense. Cause it's just, it becomes really hard. Like if you're 21 and 24 at the end of this week and Cleburne is, let's say, I don't know, let's call them 23 and 22. That's a tough road to get above. Even if you do have a pathway to do it, it's just really hard. And even if you get over Cleburne, it's still Kansas City you have to get over and they don't show signs of slowing. So I don't really know where their path to the postseason is. But on that note, we go to the Frontier League here. Tri-City. We keep talking about them every week. So we'll try and keep Tri-City fairly quick. They're still technically in last place, 11-18. and 18, But they're only three and a half games out of first place. They're on a two-game winning streak. And they are 7-3 and three in their last 10. And that's exactly why they're worthy of being mentioned. They have a three-game set against Ekip Quebec that starts tonight. So two more games when you're listening to this. And then they have a believe a three four game set my mistake a four game set against the boulders as well so they do have a really good opportunity to jump right back into the thick of things here if they can you know i'd say split with rockland and take the series against a kip quebec so if they wind up going say four and three i really like their odds back in this division which is something a month ago i would have never never would have really thought would have been possible and, I mean, they took both the games they were able to play against New Jersey. Obviously, a couple of games got rained out uh, and then postponed as a result. They wound up taking 2-0-3 from Washington. They've done very, very well as of recent. And I guess you could say that those roster moves have really paid off for them. They absolutely have. Uh, they absolutely have paid off, Nick. And, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a big credit to Pete and Kazilia not waiting around to see uh, if his if his initial roster could could turn it around, he brought in a bunch of new guys, and that's exactly what they've done. And luckily for them, I mean, you have Quebec, who at this point you're starting to get hit with the Olympics, uh, with, with, with the Olympics approaching. Some of their core is starting to go, uh, and three and a half out is is very manageable, and they're continuing to play well. They have a big big opportunity against Quebec uh, this weekend. And so this is a big spot for them. I mean, they're playing much, much better baseball of late. More some expected from them, certainly what I expected from them. I mean, the seven and three in their last ten as Quebec and the Boulders are kind of just middling around the five hundred mark. Not just, of course, Tri City at the end of the day is eleven and eighteen, but they're playing significantly, significantly better baseball of late. And I, and I do think that uh, I mean th- this this series against Quebec will determine a lot. And of course, if they come out of this home, if they come out of this stretch here, come out of this week with a winning record of four and three, five and two, I agree with you. I, they are, they, you could really start talking about them as a contender in that Atlantic division uh, with this new group that has really been uh, impressive. Yeah, absolutely. A guy like Austin Klein picking him up as a college guy has done really, really well in a lot of his starts so far. He has not looked 
overwhelmed at all. He seems to be pitching very well at this level. Then the bullpen's done very well. A guy like Tavares gave them a good uh, good number of innings, five innings. Uh, strong baseball there. Uh, the law firm of Trey Cocker and Gill, which is just a tremendous name, it has done very well in the bullpen. He has all year, but especially this past week in three games, he's seen uh, an awful lot of success. Four innings, four strikeouts, only one walk, one hit. So when you only allow two base runners and you pick up as many saves, it's never a bad week. Really, I mean, even Parker Kelly provided a really strong start for them. I will say there was a little bit of struggle from some guys, but I mean, that's going to happen. I'd Overall, Team ERA being 4.40 in the Frontier League isn't terrible. As a team, they're bad in about 300 in the week. So, again, not terrible. They're getting on base. They're getting runs across. They're doing what they need to do. I mean, they're slugging 500, too. So, I mean, that's not terrible at all. That's pretty good, actually. And, I mean, you got a guy like Willie Garcia now in the lineup that's doing exactly what you thought. Two home runs this week and 16 at-bats. He's gotten seven hits and 16 at-bats. Molina's playing very well. Similar numbers to uh, Garcia. Phipps not far behind, and neither is Silvario. Uh, Carson Maxwell is uh, coming around too. There's a lot of guys here that are really starting to produce this past week, and I'm starting to kind of believe in the Valley Cats more than I ever thought I was going to, if I'm going to be honest. Because, again, this roster is completely different, and the, the boost of Garcia to this lineup really has changed things. You know, you know, it was interesting that they were able to get him in the first place, uh, but, he, I mean, he has is, he is really done well to start off uh, his, his career in Tri-City. So, I mean, he's provided a big boost to the lineup. They're getting a lot better starts uh, than they were early in the year. And seven-game homestand this week, big, big opportunity for this group. Oh, absolutely. Against divisional teams, you got to take advantage of this. On that note, we'll go to Southern Illinois, a team that we thought I was talking about last week because they were doing well, and then we didn't, and now they're on a two-game losing streak. Seven and a half games back of first place at 16 and 17, 6 and 4 on the season. They have two more left against Schaumburg on the weekend and three against Gateway. So there is an opportunity here for them, uh, depending on how they do tonight. You know, obviously, uh, we won't know the result of the July 2nd game as we're recording this on the morning of July 2nd. But if they can manage to just even split with Schaumburg, they'll be doing well. Gateway's a team where they just kind of didn't play well. They lost a doubleheader to them, uh, but they won two games prior to that. So, I mean... A split with Gateway isn't great. They're not that great of a team. They should be doing better, but they do have that opportunity again to go 2-1 and one or th- possibly even 3-0 and oh against them. Obviously, there's been a handful of guys uh, that have really been leading the way on the year for them, offensively speaking. And pitching-wise has been uh, f- uh, fairly similar, but that's really where they're thriving. They are at a 3.80 ERA as a team on the season and they are getting, you know, a lot of help from teams. I want to say part of their issue, too, is, if I'm not mistaken, they've had some injury problems. And that's definitely going to, you know, be a concern. It's going to be a problem uh, for them as a team if you cannot stay healthy. Uh, but they have, they're still piecing it together. They still have a good bullpen. They still are getting the occasional good start. Uh, and they're getting enough offense. I mean... As a team, you'd like to see more uh, when your slash line's 265, 350, 384. It's not the most world-burning thing as a team. But, you know, you can make do on that. I'll say that much. 
Uh, of course, the injury bug is a big problem uh, for, for Southern Illinois. And, um, you know, you hope they can start to get some of those guys back and they can start making their climb uh, up the standings. I'm they're starting to get guys back here uh, fairly soon. But, you know, at least the problem I see, I guess, with this offense as a whole is I, I think this offense has definitely struggled a little bit. I mean, the pitching as a whole has been pretty good. They're only they're hitting just under 250 as a team at 249. And the big thing that I really see here is there is not there is the power on this team is pretty much non-existent. Uh, I mean, they as a team they have hit 13 home runs like through the entire season. They have hit 13 home runs uh, in their 33 games. Can you make do with that? You absolutely can. But you know they're just not they're not hitting for a high enough average to be able to make do with that. Um, they're trying to string hits together, which they really haven't been able to. Uh, and, you know, that, that's been a big problem for this team. And of course, you know, injury, injuries are what they are. Uh, but I mean, I mean, the pitching staff in general has been, has been pretty solid, uh, overall. I mean, the bullpen, the bullpen isn't very good, but, um, so starting rotation leaves some to be desired, I guess you could say. Yeah. But, uh, but, I mean, just offensively, the fact that, uh, they just need a lot more from their lineup. They, they really do. Yeah. Uh, let me just take a look at the starting rotation here. But I agree with the lineup entirely. There's about four or five guys uh, that are driving the bus offensively. Starting pitching-wise, I mean, Schmidt's been doing very good. Kynes is having a very un-Gunner Kynes-like season. Michael Austin has the one no-hitter, and that's about all it is to his name. Westcott, he's pitching about what we expected. He did about the same in Ottawa. So, I mean, I'm not terribly shocked there. Chase Cunningham's doing pretty decent, too. I know he was injured for a little bit, so that's probably it. And there's a bad start in there, too. So, all in all, there, there's two guys I really rely on. You know, there's three guys there that I don't hate. I think that they have a lot of potential there. I really think Gunnar Kynes can still rebound. I'm not so... So sure about a Zach Westcott. I think he's performing to where he's expected to. Bullpen wise, they I don't think they have a good enough bullpen to be quite honest to be able to do this routine. So that's going to be interesting to see. But yeah, offensively, you're you're entirely right. Uh, circling back to that, there's about three guys I see here that uh, can actually produce meaningful offense: uh, Bartels, Walters, and Mang. Those are really the three guys I see here. If you want to include Mangieri and Early, I'm willing to, you know, hear that because I mean, those two guys combined have half the whole runs for this team, and that's that's kind of a problem here. I guess Watkins and Cable. If you really want to be generous and include two sixty-five hitters with no power, then I guess you could include them. But I'm not that generous. But yeah, no, you're you're pretty spot on there. This team doesn't have the offense, and they don't have the starting pitching to really contend. So yeah, that's that, that, that's that's pretty much how I view it. And unless that changes, of course, additions can be made. Uh, but as of, as the roster is currently constructed, that's all I see it. Yeah. So. On that note, I guess we'll switch over to the Atlantic League now. Originally, I was going to talk about Lake Erie, but the more I think about it, if they're a 500 baseball team, I think we've talked about enough uh, roughly 500 baseball clubs uh, for today. And on that note, we'll talk about another 500 baseball club in the Long Island Ducks because they are they're struggling as of recent, and I don't really know why. They're 16-14, and 14, and they cannot seem to beat Gastonia uh, in the least bit as they split with Gastonia 1-2. and two. 
after losing to them the prior week in uh, in Long Island or on Long Island, they just cannot beat Gastonia at all. And I don't know why. They have a rough schedule this week. They got three with uh, the Blue Crab still, and they have three at, with High Point. Both are on the road. So it's not exactly an easy slate for them. Five and five in their last ten on a one-game winning streak and a half game back of those said Blue Crabs. Yeah, so as far as Long Island... It's weird because this was, I believe, last week, if I remember correctly, I said this is going to be the week where they start to pull away. Why? Because they got Gastonia and they got Lancaster. Uh, th- those are two big opportunities. And then they couldn't, they could, they really struggled against Gastonia. They had six games against Gastonia. They lost, I believe they lost four or six. Uh, that, that really, really hurt them. I mean, and my problem with the Ducks, uh, at least coming into the year, my, my concern for them was their offense. And those have pretty much come to fruition. They really have not um, hit for much power at all. Uh, I mean, of course, offense is way up across the league. The, the It's funny, the uh, league average OPS usually, like in Major League Baseball, is 750. Uh, the Blue Crabs are currently last place in Team OPS at 754. That just shows you how much offense is like, just absolutely skyrocketing across this league. Uh, however, um, you know, the, the Ducks offense in general has been uh, on a league-wide scale pretty disappointing. Uh, they lost, the, and Buck Stassi was a guy I expected to produce a lot for them. He's no longer there, uh, but he, and he kind of disappointed while he was there. I mean, I'm looking for more, I'm looking for a lot more production out of the guys they do have. They have plenty of former major leaguers. It's just you know, guys that have that have kind of struggled, and the guys that have produced have been quickly uh, have been quickly scooped up, right? And um, and it, it, that that's made it difficult for them. I mean, you look at guys like Ray Fuentes; he's a big part of that championship team. He struggled. Lou Ford, at least in the DH spot, has been really rough this year. Uh, I mean, Daniel Fields is is, is hitting one sixty. I think there's there's just a lot to be desired. Uh, with this offense and the pitching, I mean, the pitching has been good overall, but probably not as good as I thought they would be. Um, and I mean, Joe Iorio has been excellent uh, and the bullpen has been pretty good as well, but uh, they need more out of a guy like Mike Bolsinger. I mean, Mike Bolsinger has an ERA over eight and six starts and a guy, he was a guy that I thought was going to be really good for them. Of course, they're only a half game out. The North Division's not very good. There's plenty of time for them to turn this around. And, Speaking of Long Island, because now we now we have to talk about this. Yeah, what on earth happened? What, what is in the water in Lancaster? That's what, is what going I want to know. There? And a nineteen to eighteen game, like it just seems like offense occurs down there. I don't know what it is. It just, it's like a pitcher's graveyard. I, it's unbelievable. I have never seen anything like. And to, to be honest with you, if you look like league wide. Offense is like it's 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 up certainly, but it's not like so far. It's not like oh my god anymore. Yeah, but and the thing is, it's really only in Lancaster. It seems like whenever a team goes to Lancaster, both teams just do tremendously well offensively and horribly pitching wise. And not only that, but you look, and these are good arms that that are just 
not that just, I mean, that was Feldman. I mean, you look at Vin Mazzaro, I and mean, Vin Mazzaro in his start in Lancaster at the night after the 19-18 win where the Barnstormers won 16-8 the next night. I mean, his line, three and two-thirds, eight hits, eight runs, five walks, and no strikeouts. I mean, the Ducks walked 10 as a team that night, only struck out three. I, I don't know. There's something, it's always that ballpark. And listen, they had the short fortune right field. I get it. It's 300 feet down the right field line. I'm sure that doesn't hurt. But, you know, there's other places that have short fortunes as well, and you're not seeing anything crazy like this. Yeah, that's, uh, that's just it. Like, that doesn't account for all those runs and all everything here. Like, I don't even want to chalk it up to just Lancaster having a bad pitching style because Lancaster gets runs in Lancaster or Lancaster or however the hell you pronounce it. It's, I don't understand that. It's, we could do we could do a Lancaster team ERA check. Oh, they got it down under this week. Okay, all right. So their 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 team ERA is down to seven point nine zero this week. Oh, see, they're getting better. They're getting better. Barely, uh, but, but still better. And I, uh, and, and I said the Ducks pitching staff has been good. That was just me, like eyeballing a certain a certain number of key guys as a whole. They have an ERA of five point six three. Yeah. But the legends lead the lead the league in team ERA, and they're at four point six one. I mean, compare that to the other teams we've talked about today in the American Association and the Frontier League. It's not a comparison. Yeah. It, it, it's actually incredible. It's just it's odd. I mean, like hell, like what's weird to me is high points at the dead bottom when it comes to team batting average. That's what's odd to me. Like even team OPS, they're not. Well, I mean, they're up there, but I mean, they're barely up there. They're like 0.02 ahead of two teams, and then they're really getting to the bottom of the barrel. But they've they've struggled as well. They could have been a team to talk about this week. But uh, to keep the show moving, we'll go to the to the team that's kind of been the bane of the Ducks' existence in the Honey Hunters of Gastonia, which you know we all said they're not that good of a team. They'll probably win like 40 games. And then I said I'm being optimistic. I think they'll win 45. And now they're like. 13 and 16, doing very respectably. They won their last game. They're five and five, seven games out of first place. I mean, like, let's be real, they're probably not going anywhere, but they got four at high point, three versus Southern Maryland. I mean, like, they they're not looking terrible. I gotta be honest. Yeah, yeah, not at all. Uh, I mean, Gastonia at, at 13 and 16 currently. I mean, they they have certainly surpassed expectations so far. I mean, a lot of that has to do uh, with their offense. They're third in team OPS at 836. They're hitting 265. The team they're hitting for a lot of power. They've hit 43 home runs in 29 games. So, I mean, a lot, even though they, they did lose Jason Rogers to Mexico, which will hurt the lineup a little bit. So, I mean, so many guys for them have really uh, exceeded expectations. Some guys I'm looking at, like, um, and for example, like uh, Josh Sale, the former first round pick, has been he's been a revelation this year, really. Uh, as well as, um, I mean, Boog Powell's been excellent. I mean, he's been in 348. I mean, an OPS over a thousand. Uh, and even a guy like Jake Skull in the in the leadoff spot uh, is hit for a ton of power as well. Their offense continues to carry them. I still worry about the pitching, but you know what? I mean, if if everyone else's pitching staff is terrible. And yours is just also terrible. 
I mean, I guess exactly. you could win like that. Exactly. Like, it's clear that the league is just like, all right, whoever outscores somebody's going to win, which sounds like so obvious when you say it, but it really is true here. It's just like having a good pitching team means nothing this year because a good pitching team is an ERA under five. So, I mean, I hey. Mean, you let, might let me ask you this, then. Do we start <laughs> looking at the Atlantic League numbers the way we look at like the PCL? A little bit. I think the answer is probably yes. I think already they're kind of skewed because of all the other rules and everything. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. Uh, that alone plus, I mean, we say that this isn't good pitching-wise now, but when the mound gets moved back in like a month or two... Oh, don't remind me. Oh, God. These numbers are really going to explode, aren't they? It's going to be like, oh, they're only batting 400. They're really not that good. Like, we're, we're really going to enter in territory where, like, Batting 300 is going to be equivalent to batting 250. And, like, it's yeah. really odd. It really is odd to me here to see this. And it's just so hard to get a gauge on this. Because, like I said, like I was about to say, it makes no sense to build a good pitching team. It makes all of sense in the world to just get as many good batters as you can and just kind of cycle through pitches until you find a handful that are pretty decent. Yeah. I mean, or, or you could be like Lexington and just have the best pitching staff in the league and best fun in the league. Well, that's because really Lexington fair. isn't fair and is pretty much set to win this league because, I mean, who is going to stop them? Nobody. I mean, the, Lexington's, o, Lexington's OPS as a team is 906, <laughs> which is absolutely freaking nuts. Yeah. The, you see, the thing is, too, like, we can't even really talk about Lexington because we're going to say the same thing where Lexington played and then they beat the hell out of the person they played and now their stats are really good. And the thing is, too, they lose, like, Tony Singrani, so then they bring in Christian Frederick. Like, yep. okay. It's just like a revolving door now. We lost the major leaguer, so we brought in another one. It's pretty cool. He's just going to wind up probably going to the KBO in a couple of months, but, you know, it's okay. It's fine. But... Yeah, like, I do want to just take a detour and just quickly talk about Southern Maryland again before we get out of here. Um, Southern Maryland is not really an illusion, are they, anymore? I mean, they're 17 and 14. They're a half game up on Long Island. They dropped their last one, but if I'm not mistaken, they're like 9 and 1 in their last 10 with 3 against Long Island and 3 against Gastonia. This is a real opportunity for them. Even if they go 1 and 2 or 2, Two and one would really be what you're looking for out of Long Island, but even one and two, you're staying right up in there. Plus, you got Gastonia, which you hope you can beat. But at, like I said, at this point, it's hard to say. I mean, Frank, frankly, Gastonia and High Point are about similar, which is something I was not expecting to say coming into the year at all. But yeah, like this is a Southern Maryland is kind of proving me wrong when I say yeah. like, oh, every year this is the same story with them. And now it appears as though, no, it is not. They may actually be for real this time. Pitching staff is really what's leading the way. I mean, Daryl Thompson, Daryl Thompson doesn't give a damn about your, uh, about your automated strike zone. You can put whatever strike zone in front of him. It doesn't matter because he's just that much of a beast. If you look at Daryl Thompson's numbers, he's 4-1 and one with a, three, a 335 ERA in 43 innings, while walks have absolutely skyrocketed across the league. Would you like to know how many guys he has walked in 43 innings, Nick? Is it less than a half dozen? Yes. Four. <laughs> so he's not talking about a walk every 11 innings. He has walked four guys. So Daryl Thompson is not complaining about the strike zone. He doesn't care. He's going to pound the strike zone anyway and get out his way. 
And I mean, his strikeouts are a little bit down, but honestly, it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. because I mean, that's how you're going to have to get guys out um, in this league at this point. And uh, another guy who's been a real, I mean, Mike Devine is, is uh, I mean, yeah, his overall numbers don't look great for the season. His numbers don't look great for the season, but he's been significantly better lately. Uh, and I mean, and Brandon Barker, a guy, a big Can M League name, yeah. an old Can M League name, he's been excellent. 3.45 ERA in six starts. So uh, they're really led by their pitching. And I mean, if you look at their team ERA, it has not been very good. Like, but I mean, I guess we have to adjust what we think of for uh, what is very good and what isn't in the Atlantic League at this point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they are third in the league in team ERA, and but they've been significantly better lately, and, and that's what's really leading this team because the offense is kind of not, and their offense really isn't great. I mean, but their pitching continues to lead the way. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like they are just, they're a very interesting team. Like offensively, didn't they just pick up Trejo too, who did very well in? They uh, did. Yeah, they, he did very well in High Point. I know. Yeah. So yeah, I forgot like, about that. Yeah, so like they're getting there. Like, like you said, offense really isn't what they're doing at the moment. They're like, like Crosby's good, uh, Collier's good, uh, Hibbert's good, Baca. You know, like it's see the problem too is. With the way that this league structured, I'm used to seeing like, oh, okay, 267. That's not terrible. It's not great. It's pretty average. And now with the Atlantic League, I'm like, is it though? When the best team in the league's got like a four and a half ERA, is that good though? So hard. Exactly. It's really hard for me to gauge this. I mean, like, it's almost like you're better off just looking at power numbers and going off of that and just saying screw average, which I hate doing because I don't think it's really an accurate way of describing what players are good and what players aren't good, but... It yeah. almost seems like a more effective way, which yeah. just want to say props to Kent Blackstone. He may not be hitting for average, but he has six home runs. So good for him. Yeah, now good for him. I mean, his defense will his defense will keep him on the field no matter what. Speaking of power, the Lexington Legends are, have hit forty six home runs in twenty seven games. Just two a game, nothing much. Just about two a game. That's that's. Pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's unreasonable, but I think that's about all we got here. I think we've uh, dissected the independent league world pretty good, and we don't want to miss the bus by staying on this too long. So, with that, I guess we can go to the plugs and then get out of here. Uh, if you want to follow the show, you could do so on Twitter at India Paul Pod. You could do so on Instagram at ALPB underscore news for your Atlantic League focus to hear more about how wonderful the Lexington Legends are because they really are a great ball club. Or you could do so at Indie Ball Report, which you could find out all of the uh, all the news from the independent league world and we're going to start a new uh, social media posting schedule starting tomorrow if you're listening day of release and if you're not listening day of release well we're already going to have begun on that so that's something for you to watch out for so keep a watchful eye on the instagram page you can subscribe to the show wherever you find podcasts so tune in stitcher spotify podomatic uh, google Podcasts, apple podcast uh, amazon music you know like i said pretty much most major podcatchers have the show and then if you want to find links to everything if you want to find the aforementioned uh, show notes you could do so on the website indiebalreport.com where all of that will be available to you and with that said do we have anything else left to add for the week the red sox are so good they are so good the yankees are suffering my life is great and let's go mets for this weekend 
Oh, I see. Now that's nice. See, Yankee, uh, the Yankees are the one thing the Mets and Red Sox fans have in common, and just how oh, much we great. don't like them. It's wonderful. I was, I, was at both, I was at both the Red Sox and Mets game at Sydney Field this year, and there's just, there's no animosity towards everyone. We're we're all we're, we're all friends. You see, because what happened was the Mets won in '86, so we're happy about that, and then the Red Sox wound up winning what two, three more World Series after that. So it's like, eh, and four more, four more. Okay, so great. So y'all are doing well. We're just like, eh, we don't really give a shit. We play you like once every couple of years. That's about it. But the vibes are great. Exactly, it's wonderful. But my thing to add, uh, obviously, as I think most of you can guess, I'm a hockey fan, particularly a Rangers fan. And Adam Fox is a Norris Trophy winner. He is the best defenseman in the National Hockey League in only his second year. We got him for two second round picks because he basically said, uh, "You cannot trade me to New York, and then I will stay at Harvard, and then I will sign in New York, or you could trade me to New York." And either way, he's a New York Ranger. He's a Norris Trophy winner. He's the first one since Brian Leach to do that. He is also the first American since Brian Leach to win the Norris. He's the first Norris Trophy winner that did not make the postseason. It's pretty cool. And he is also only the second player to win the Norris in his second year. That other player being Bobby Orr. So I'm really jazzed about that. Also, Keandre Miller made the all-rookie team as one of the defensemen there. So the future is really bright. I'm really excited. I'm really happy. And uh, this is just, it's just such a banner year. Like, honestly, Adam Fox winning the Norris is probably the best thing that happened with Ranger hockey this season. So there is still light at the end of the tunnel. Now let's not go get Jack Eichel because I don't want him because his neck's probably messed up and we have no need for a $10 million neck burden on this camp roster. So with that said, nothing else left to add. You know the drill around here. Until next week, don't forget to play ball. that are slated that was an odd way to say slated 